So today we'd like to introduce a very special guest, sex and relationship expert, Dr. Jess O'Reilly. Many of you may know Dr. Jess from her very popular podcast called Sex with Dr. Jess. Welcome, Dr. Jess. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, during and after menopause, hormone production falls to very low levels, meaning many of us experience side effects such as vaginal dryness and loss of libido. Now we have the added layer of stress due to COVID, where we're all confined to our homes, managing work, homeschooling, and all of this takes its toll in the bedroom. Jess is here to help us find ways to reconnect with our partners. <laughs> This is going to be a hot topic, Jess, <laughs> because, you know, I'm very open to hearing what you have to say, but I am currently looking for every excuse possible not to get in the bedroom. And uh, that's, that's COVID related, but that's also menopause related because like many women, I mean, I'm stressed, but I'm also like, I have vaginal dryness. It's painful. My libido is in the toilet. My, if I hear my name one more time, um, I'm going to lose it and changing my name to Eunice after COVID. So I never have to hear mama, where's this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can imagine like how many of us are in this position right now, right? Where we we're just trying to like survive. The last thing we're thinking about is heating things up in the sack. Well, I, I think that's fine. I don't think this is a time where we have to be performing in every area of our lives. I think that there was this focus in the beginning when we were first asked to stay home. And of course, people are in different places. So we're in, we're at different phases of this, of this isolation and in some places quarantine. And I think there was this emphasis on how much we could produce. What are all the things we can get done because we're going to be saving so much time. And that was, that was a really unrealistic expectation. Yeah, for a couple of days and weeks, people might have had a little time or reprioritized baking bread. But by time you're at home managing whatever's going on with your work, perhaps the stress that overflows from a partner's work and then your kids and going, you know, dealing with homeschooling. I think most of us are not trying to thrive right now. We're really trying to survive. And I think you have to give yourself permission to do just that. I, I hate the idea that there's one more layer of things you must do. And I would never want sex to be that thing. Now, having said that, you don't have to have all the sex and the hottest sex, but you probably want to at least talk about sex in so much as it affects harmony or strife in your relationship. And so if you're absolutely not in the mood, I think it's really important that you convey that. But most of us are good at, better at conveying what we want and what we don't want, but we don't take the time to really get at uh, the foundational stuff, which is the why. Why am I not in the mood? Um, what am I feeling? What are my, what is my emotional, physical, psychological, mental, maybe spiritual, practical, social experiences right now that are affecting the way I feel about sex? And then, uh, you, then there needs to be a discussion of what that means for the relationship. So how am I feeling in this relationship? And are there other ways to stay connected, to feel intimate, to be more at ease despite the fact that we're not having sex. So the one thing I'm, I'm suggesting for, for all couples, if you're living in, in isolation or period, is can you start your day with 60 seconds of connection? Can you prioritize 60 seconds? And if you're not prioritized, if you refuse to prioritize 60 seconds, I really challenge, you know, challenge you to say, are, are you really prioritizing the relationship? Now, the way I suggest you prioritize 60 seconds may not be the way you do it, but any prioritization where you take 60 seconds and you just hold each other in the morning and breathe, 
or you put your foreheads together and you take six deep breaths together. Or one thing that I've been doing is I, I try, if I remember, to put my head on my partner's chest and just listen to their heartbeat because I feel very grounded and small and grateful that that, that, you know, that muscle is functioning because even though they might frustrate me, especially being in close quarters, they leave a, a dish in the sink or they're loud on a phone call or they, they're one of those people at the end of a Zoom call who says, just one more thing or whatever it is that irritates me about that. Can I be reminded just of, of their mortality and feel more grateful for them? So can you take one minute at the beginning of the day? Can you take one minute in the middle of the day to be physically affectionate? Can you go while they're on a stressful phone call and give them a massage? When you see that they've got a really busy schedule, can you set something up for them? My, my partner has been doing that for me today. And again, these are 60 second investments, maybe three times throughout the day that can help you to you know, have a better foundation regardless of when, whether or not you're having sex, and then we can have the conversation about sex. But if you're not investing in the relationship, if you're not investing in your own emotional health and emotional literacy, uh, I, I think sex is just too far down the horizon, too far off in the horizon. That's a really, really good point. I had never really thought about that. I think, um, you know what comes to mind for me um, when you say that? Like, I think it's excellent, and I think, yeah, I should do that. You almost actually made me cry. But I think like um, my own situation and Ramona and, and like many other women, we're also kind of in charge of homeschooling, right? Which is like, you are bad guy, bad guy, you are bad cop, you are fighting all day. <laughs> like, um, I, I think many of us, I fear many of us are gonna build up a resentment towards our husbands. And it's so hard to like, when you're trying to manage your kid who's fighting you and, and you're just feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like me sometimes like a bit like a failure at this whole gig, the last thing I want to do is go upstairs and bring him a snack. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to go upstairs and do something, but it's not that. <laughs> so that can be, I think that's going to be a challenge for us down the road. Well, and, and then it comes back to what are the conversations we're having because I mean, resentment, as awful as it is, is on us, right? If you, if I am building up resentment, it's because I am not managing, processing, discussing these feelings of anger, um, the frustration I have around division of labor, um, the expectations perhaps I have of myself and my child and my partner that perhaps don't align with theirs. So if we're both building up resentment, there's only one person that can deal with that. And that, that's yourself right? Like if, if, yeah. if I'm, well, I can work through that resentment. We often think, and I think this takes a real reframing. We often think of how we feel as being entirely caused by an external source. And in the context of a relationship, we think my partner made me feel. And it's fair to say that a specific behavior precipitated a particular emotional response, but it's not entirely responsible for that emotion. So I'm arriving at the table with a lifetime of history, of skeletons, of baggage, of previous interactions, of previous relationships, of frustration with your kid, of frustration with work, frustration with the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. And this particular behavior made me aware of an emotion or it intensified an emotion. Yeah. But I have to take responsibility and say, okay, why am I tapped? with this homeschooling, like take that as an example. Why am I doing it? Is it because I have a higher expectation of my, of my child than my partner? Is it because I've put it on myself? Is it because my partner simply isn't stepping up? Uh, but I, I do think that we run into this, this common situation where I set a standard 
and an expectation. And then I do whatever it takes to meet that expectation. But maybe my partner's expectation is down here or, or way over there. I don't want to make it super hierarchical. And so I need to ask, well, why am I putting all this effort into the homeschooling? Is it necessary? Um, are they not doing, why are they not doing it? Is it because their job is different? Because uh, if it's just a, simply a matter of gender roles, of course, we need to break that down. And, and I mean, I'm all about eradicating gender. But uh, if it's really a matter of this relationship and the way I'm communicating my needs or the way I'm setting standards that perhaps other people don't want to meet, right? Like I run into that oftentimes in the male-female context. Uh, you know, a woman wants certain things done a certain way. And so we're getting them to ballet. Let's just take it back to real life because one day we'll get back to normal. I take them to ballet and to soccer and I have them swimming and I want to make sure they eat a certain type of food. So I'm running across town to make sure I get this specific organic thing. And I really want them to take this class. And then I'm mad at my partner for not participating to the same degree to which I participate. But, you know, those things may not be necessary to my kid, right? Those may not be mandatory things to help this little human being thrive because if you look back to our upbringing our parents didn't do the the list of things that we do for our children they did lots of other things and you know in spite of that or because of that we turned out fine so i do want to like number one think about your own expectations number two communicate with your partner and think about the way you communicate if you communicate when you're pissed off and frustrated chances are your communicating is not effective you're not saying hey i want to talk about uh, the division of labor with homeschooling because I'm feeling like it's really getting hard for me and I'm wondering if you can I want to talk about how we divide this because I don't want to feel like you're helping me I want to feel like we're a team is that how you're communicating and are you and are you setting the stage and saying hey is this good a good time to talk or are you going in and saying you know what I'm sick of this you're not helping at all this kid is wearing me out I'm so frustrated and I think we really need to you know think about the way we're communicating with our partners to produce the outcome that we desire and again you can ask somebody to change their behavior, but you can't demand it. And so you have to decide, am I okay with this, right? Like we stay in relationships, even when our partners don't meet all of our needs. It really is going back to the self. Like we have to take it upon ourselves to make sure our needs are met. And sometimes that means changing our expectations. And this is before we even get to the sex. Like I don't even talk about the sex or, you know, the frustration of vaginal dryness. In fact, all of these you know, symptoms associated with sex and menopause are totally surmountable, right? They're, 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 you can manage them, you can do other things, you can derive pleasure, you can get into your body, but not if you don't take care of the relational lifestyle, attitude, and the behavioral stuff first. Yeah. And I find too, for those of us who are partnered with male partners, I find, and perhaps this could be a generalization, but I do find that men men's standards in terms of whether it be childcare or how we keep our home or those kind of things, they're different than ours. And we have to sometimes manage our own expectations when, when we're speaking with them. And I do find, and I've been told this from my own therapist, that like sometimes a partner just needs that direction of like, exactly what you were saying, connecting and saying how you feel, but also giving them direction in that, like, I need you to do schooling an hour a day because I don't have enough time to do it. Or like clear, concise direction, like you would your children. And I hate to, I, that sounds really bad, but it, it sometimes is helpful to open up that dialogue and kind of guide them into um, where you would like them to go. But I do find, yeah, like if you're harboring resentment, it just, it, it just 
fuels that area of zero sex or relationship connection if you're constantly angry, right? Yeah. And I think too, on like to that point, like my therapist has said that too, you, you have to communicate your needs. You can't expect your partner to be a mind reader. And, and just like to your point about our expectations on ourselves, like I, I think like we've, we've had a little blowout in our house about homeschooling and I just walked off the job last night and I was saying like, you know, she, she has to turn in like so many projects a week, blah, blah, blah. And my, my husband was saying, but you can't, you just can't. So like, don't turn it all in. Tell the teacher you can't do it. I'm like, expect, you know, education is non-negotiable for me. Like I will lose my job before she will lose her education. It's that important. And his point is, well, I'm not saying, you know, no school, I'm saying less school. Um, so, you know, this comes to down to a core value issue between couples. Like, how do we both really feel about education? It's definitely not a chat we had because we never thought we'd be in a position where we had to actually make choices about it. Um, so that can be really tricky, but, but I like what you said earlier, because the way that we communicated this kind of tough topic last night was very respectful. I mean, if you sort of take out me screaming in the backyard at the top of my lungs and having a toddler-sized tantrum, the rest of the conversation was respectful. But, you know, it, it, I look at all these things mounting up, and on top of it, I'm having some hormone ragey stuff, right? Which is easily triggered right now by my kid or her behavior with school or too many demands or just feeling overwhelmed. Uh, Ramona, you had mentioned that your hot flashes are coming back. Like the stress of the situation is really triggery for these symptoms. And then you want to have sex as part of the picture because you want that closeness. Like you want to feel connected somehow, but you just, you just can't make that leap into the bedroom because there's just too much noise going on in between. Right. Sure. And I, I think then we just have to look at other ways to be close. Like, I don't think most people, uh, regardless of whether you're going through menopause or you're in a happy relationship or you're in a tough relationship, I don't think most, most people, partnered people are, are not dying for sex right now. It, you know, we have a lot of mind and we are emotionally taxed by the situation itself, just the fear, the grief, dealing with the loss. Uh, these are really heavy emotions. And then you, of course, those trigger and are exacerbated by some of the symptoms that you're talking about. So my, my suggestion to people, whether you're having a hot flash or you're having an anxiety attack or you're having any sort of physical symptom in your body is to focus on that symptom first. Don't try and be cerebral about it. Don't try and break it down. Don't try and understand it. Just focus on the self-soothing of the symptom itself. So does, does, you know, taking all your clothes off and taking a cold shower help? Does slowing down and really focusing in on your breath? Because we have, we have a you know, good deal of research on the benefits of mindfulness. And I'm sure we can extrapolate some of those those findings to the benefits of mindfulness to menopausal symptoms, because we see it with pain relief, we see it with renate relational connection, we see it for sex, for overcoming sexual dysfunction. So if you were to take seven slow deep breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, how would those symptoms in your body begin to be you know, attenuated by, by your breath? Or can we do something that's really grounding when we're feeling, you know, of course with hormonal shifts, 
we can feel really overwhelmed and really, you know, angry or sad or scared. And oftentimes it comes out as anger, but it's, it's another emotion that we're not really accessing, right? So I find it really useful uh, for people of all ages. This is great for kids and you can use your kids as an excuse, but it's great for adults too, to just print off a list of feelings, a, a list of emotion words and put them on your fridge so that when you you're going to blow, you know, blow your top. Can I go and say, you know what, actually, I'm really feeling vulnerable. I'm really feeling scared. I'm really feeling insecure. I'm really feeling lonely. I'm really feeling all of these other things rather than just accessing anger right away. So if we, we go to, for instance, a, a grounding exercise, so I'm feeling really overwhelmed or I'm feeling anxious, I feel like I might have a panic attack. And sometimes to avoid a panic attack, we'll instead have a bit of a tantrum, uh, which doesn't in fact soothe our panic, but it feels as though it will. Can I do something grounding where I look around me and I say, okay, here are four things I can see. Here are three things I can touch. Here are two things I can hear. And then here's one thing that I'm feeling, or, or you can go back to a different scent, like, or a different sense. Like here's one thing I smell. But when you focus on one or all or somewhere in between of your five senses, it forces you to be in the present moment, right? Because you can't hear in the past. You can't see in the future. You can only do those things right now. So if we can focus on some of the physical symptoms first, we might find that the, the emotional, let's call it processing or management, comes a little bit more easily. Okay. That's really, that's very helpful. And I wonder too, if, you know, I'm not saying take sex off the table, but when I hear you say these things about mindfulness, I think, you know, I think for myself, the expectation of sex is I just want my life to go back to normal. And that is part of the normal. And I think many of us are feeling that like we're trying to hold on to all the we, it's hard to look at our new life right now and, and understand it. So, so we're afraid. So we're kind of hanging on to what we, what is familiar. And in, in that, that is, you know, we have sex once a week, we, we do this and this is how, but the reality is none of this is familiar right now. So it, it is evoking a lot of fear, which causes a lot of anger. And, um, and maybe the, the sex, the connection is, to your point, just the kind things we do for each other and ourselves, and some touchy-feely moments that are more supportive and comforting than they are hot and sexy, because, you know, that'll probably come later, right? Yeah, I, I like the idea of taking sex off the table. Even, like, to give yourself a break, I, everybody's, um, you know, frequency is different, but even just to say, you know what, not this week. Like, can we just, can I have that pressure off of myself? Um, now, of course, we want sex to be something that feels good. We don't want sex to be a chore. And when sex becomes a chore, of course, to, to build resentment and it's going to affect your relationship. But the, the second piece of that is, yes, please, you know, I, I don't want to pressure people into having sex. If you don't want to have sex, don't have sex. But if you're in a monogamous relationship or any relationship, you do need to talk about sexual frequency. You do need to talk about your whys. How often do you want it? What makes you want it? Sometimes I have people create a fire and an isolate. So in research, they call it your sexual excitation system and your sexual inhibition system. So what are all the things on that fire list that make sex possible, right? The laundry's put away. You helped with, you, you did your share, not helped. Like for me, I mean, I have a different relationship where I, I do have a, I have a male partner who 100% pulls his weight. He's not helping me out. I don't ask him. And I will not do the emotional and mental labor to organize things. And I will call him out. If I feel as though I'm having to say, 
I need you to help for two hours. I've got a problem with that. Now, everybody else's relationship is different, but I'm not here to be your manager or I'm not here to be your mother. I'm not here to be any of those things. I won't even use that language of gender, but I'm not, I'm not running things for you. So this is a, this is a team and we're going to operate as a team and I'm not the captain and you're not the captain. Yes, we captain certain areas. But I, I think beyond, you know, saying what, talking about why you don't want to have sex and your fire list of things that might put you in the mood and the ice list of things that absolutely destroy the mood, we also have to remember that, you know, sexual desire does not occur spontaneously. In long-term relationships, most people don't want to tear one another's clothes off. Creating desire is something that follows from arousal. So we have this notion that you have sex when you're in the mood and hopefully you get in the mood at the same time or you get each other in the mood. But the reality is, and, and even if you look in the DSM-5, which is a diagnostic tool that's used to diagnose sexual dysfunction, they have now merged sexual arousal disorders and sexual desire disorders for women because desire and arousal are so closely tied. In, in fact, it's a, a Canadian researcher, Dr. Lori Grotto on the West Coast of Canada, who um, you know, is one of the pioneering or really important researchers in this area. And we realize that it's not as though I have desire and then I get turned on and then I have an orgasm. No, for most people, you have to get aroused first. And then you have the physical arousal in your body. And then you notice the physical arousal. So there has to be an awareness. We've got arousal, awareness, and that is what triggers desire for sex. So if you wait until you're in the mood to have sex, you will never have sex. And that can be costly for your relationship, okay? Yeah. We know costs of sex, sexless, sexless relationships that are not consent, mutually consensual. Of course, some people are in very happy sexless relationships and it really works for them. But for those of you who are watching this, probably you're somewhat interested in sex or you have a partner who's interested in sex. So we need to think of arousal, awareness, and then uh, and then desire. And so arousal might be fantasize might you know might be triggered by um, fantasizing, by using a toy, by saying to your partner, I'm absolutely not in the mood, but go down on me for two minutes and we'll see where I am. I'll let you know where I'm at, right? Um, sometimes you're just gonna say no, I'm too tired, no, I'm too stressed, but Oftentimes, can we, and rather than no, can we say, not in the mood right now, I, I am attracted to you, I do enjoy sex with you, I, I know I'm making it sound clinical, you use your own words, uh, let's try tomorrow, or I'm not in the mood right now, but could we just, could we hold each other, or I'm not in the mood right now, can you give me a massage, and, and we have to get good at asking for what we want, because oftentimes we complain that we're not getting what we want, but we're not asking for it, and as you said, nobody's a mind reader, or can we offer something, can we take turns, I'm not in the mood tonight, but let me give you a hand. And then you're going to reciprocate tomorrow or next week or next month or however often you do it. So we have to think about how do I get aroused? How do I get into a mindset where I can even notice that arousal? Because we have physical arousal and then we have subjective arousal. And physical arousal usually means, you know, there's some circulation in the region. You're feeling something. Um, maybe the vibes are getting throughout your body. But subjective arousal follows the awareness where you're like, oh, yeah sex. I remember that thing. That thing can feel good. And then the last piece that often gets missed in these conversations around absence of sex or sexual desire is like, are you telling, do you, does sex even feel good? Right? Because if you have vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy um, and you're not moisturizing daily or you're not using a lube that works for you and you're still sticking an object in there, that may not feel good. But guess what? You don't need to put an object in there to have an orgasm. In fact, you're less likely to have an orgasm with an object in there. So are you talking about all the other things that feel good sexually? Are you exploring those things? Are you exploring toys? Are you exploring 
them, your partner using their hands or you using your hands or their face or their tongue and kissing and touching. And that doesn't mean that at no point will you never have penetration, but if you can have an orgasm first, penetration, like we, we talk about lube, we talk about moisturizer, we talk about, you know, being touched, but if you have an orgasm first, that's probably when penetration becomes most comfortable, right? Because the endorphins, the oxytocin, the adrenaline floods your body. And this has a palliative effect on the body to the point that pain thresholds actually double. Now, we, we don't want pain unless that's what you're into, which is a different conversation. But if you can make sure that you're getting yours first and you're putting yourself, your body and your mind in a position where you can have an orgasm and your partner can be a part of that or facilitate that, then you can look at other types of sex. But I, we do need to stop thinking in terms of PV sex. I think part of why we don't have sex per se, in air quotes, is that we think sex means putting a penis in a vagina and sex means lots of different things. And we have data to back that up. And we see it in like erectile dysfunction when folks you know, are dealing with erectile dysfunction. One thing they do is learn to give and receive pleasure in all these other ways. And we hear from so many folks with erectile dysfunction who say, you know, in, in the beginning, it felt like the worst thing in the world, but now I'm so thankful for it because we, we discovered other types of sex. And I wish that in menopause, we would discover the same thing, which is that there's not one way to do it. I think um, that's really important, actually. I'm glad that you brought that up because I know that some of our viewers are struggling with this right now, which is menopause brings on some of those uncomfortable side effects like um, vaginal dryness and loss of libido and they're struggling in the bedroom and avoiding sex with their partners because it's painful it their partners don't really understand what they're going through physically um, but I and a lot of women haven't explored that sexual side of themselves and I've had conversations with women who've never used a vibrator or have never done anything sexually outside of physical penetration and haven't explored their bodies. And I think as we age, we need to get more comfortable with our own bodies and know what we like. And it could also be something that's a little bit more exciting in the bedroom with your partner, exploring other ways to stimulate each other that maybe isn't penetration. But I do find, and and I'd, I'd be curious to know your opinion on like, when somebody starts going through menopause, perimenopause, how that affects their relationship. Have you experienced um, couples whose relationships are just breaking down because they're not having that dialogue? Of course, uh, we, see, we see couples who run the gamut and oftentimes we will attribute a communication breakdown to a specific event or a specific experience or a specific time in our lives. But the reality is, is that is that communication deficit almost always pre-existed the incident that might have led to the really intense relationship strife or in fact relationship dissolution. So uh, generally it's not menopause that you know creates a relationship or a communication disconnect, it usually preceded it, and it's just shining light on it. Uh, I also want to mention that there are many folks uh, who experience, many women who experience menopause and, and want more sex. And Yes, I've I think heard often, <laughs> They're like, <laughs> but they're actually far more common because they're obviously not seeking treatment specifically for this, right? When a client presents with 
an issue, uh, they're not going to present, hey, I'm in menopause and I still want sex and sex is good. No, usually there's another issue like an issue of communication or confidence or body image or changing career or, or transitioning to being empty nesters, any of those things that people seek seek support with. And then the menopause piece is tangential, but we don't discuss it and it doesn't get studied and it's not, you know, it's not considered a uh, it doesn't fall into a sexual dysfunction that gets diagnosed and treated. And and so I think it's important to just realize that whatever you're experiencing, it's totally valid. Um, and please dig a little deeper instead of saying, well, I'm in menopause, I just don't want sex. Can you think of what are all the pieces lead to not wanting sex? Is it the fact that my partner just kind of wham, bam, thank you, ma'ams me, and falls asleep after? And so there's the physical part that's unsatisfying, but I also feel really relationally and intimately and emotionally unfulfilled. And start having these conversations. Uh, the problem with sex and relationships is that we don't talk about them until the issues arise. Uh, we, we speak in shorthand. We, we say things like, do you want to get married? Well, what the hell does that mean? Right? What does a marriage look like? What's going to happen when we disagree on how to raise the kids? What, how do we feel about money? How do we feel about in-laws? How are we going to integrate our ethno-cultural religious values together? We need to have these conversations in advance of the problems arising. Now, it doesn't ever mean it's too late, but developing the communication skills and discussing challenging topics is always going to be easier and you'll find that you have the foundational skills if you talk about it when you're not in the heat of the moment. So I actually, I have a video course online that's 50 conversations for couples. And I want every couple who's thinking about moving together, in together, thinking about getting married, every single engaged couple to have these conversations. And even these 50 conversations, like I want to call it the don't get divorced course, but I don't know if that's, that's really fair because even these conversations are just the tip of the iceberg. You know, they say communication, you know, is the most important thing in the relationship. Communication is the relationship. That's what it is. And we need to get more specific with the language people can use to specifically understand their sexual values, their sexual needs, their expectations. We do things like we say, oh, are you into this? No, I'm not into that. Yes, I'm into that. That's barely a conversation. We need to get into, okay, what are the physical, emotional, personal, social, relational, uh, potentially spiritual benefits that make me want to do this thing? Or what are the costs that I perceive emotionally, relationally, physically, socially, all of these different things? And we're not having these in-depth conversations. And the fact that we think relationships can thrive without these in-depth in, in conversations is absurd because we would never invest into a business. We don't get into partnerships. We don't focus on our health with these super conversations and we try and do it with our relationships so uh, menopause might be the catalyst that encourages people to have these conversations but the need for these conversations far pre-existed perimenopause and menopause it's a good point because i think when you're younger and um like i'm thinking under 40 there's an emotional development that happens, I think, when you hit 40 and up. Like, you become more, you come into your own a little more. You are more comfortable. You care less about, your, you know, certain things. You're less squeamish. And it's a good time to have the conversations because, like, I'm, I'm as you're saying this, I'm imagining this conversation and thinking in my 20s, this would have been so intensely awkward for me to talk to my partner about this stuff. But where we are now, I mean, there's the, comfortableness that you settle into because you've been married a long time you're also in an age group where you're like no I'm about me now I'm, I'm figuring me out um, and you're understanding that you know the 
the big hot sizzly physical aspect of sex and relationships it it loses its steam as we are together longer so i i would be way more open to having that conversation now it's a good time to have it too because it's a time when you know we want to understand each other a little more and and you know covid or not it's um it's also important to be having these conversations about menopause because i know a lot of men who don't understand it who feel rejected by their wives who feel like they can do no right um, they're always being blamed and those things actually are happening, but they're happening as a result as you said in the beginning of us like We're having hormone rage. We're having anxiety. We're having and so we're lashing out You know and it's important for them to understand what we're going through so they can be supportive But also so they can take it less personally um, I know Greg my husband. Well, he's heard me talk to you before Jess. He's heard Ramona and I talking about it I go on and on about menopause, but that's because I want to understand it, but I also want him to understand it so that we're okay through it. And he has done his own reading on it because he wants, you know, he knows sometimes when to back off. He knows never to say, oh, this is your menopause. Um, but he, he's, a, he's, he's been a really supportive partner and, and the biggest strength we've always had is our communication. So when, you know, sex has gone south for us because of painful sex for me, we still have that communication. So it's, it is really important for us to be talking about this. And hell, we're at home. We have a lot of time now to grab a bottle of wine, sit down on the porch when the kids go to bed and have these conversations, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I find this, this whole period you know, as we've discussed, it it has elevated so much stress in all of us and, and really extended our um, expectations of ourselves and, and what people are putting on us. You know, we've got to keep our kids mentally healthy right now. We have to keep ourselves mentally healthy. We have to keep our relationships intact. It's a very trying time. But understanding, like, if we take sex off the table, that's sort of one thing that it's a nice to have, but it's not a need to have right now. It's not a fulfillment we have to do. And I like the idea of exploring different ways of having sex or understanding that sex is more than penetration. Um, so before we go, do you have any um, recommendations of <laughs> asking for a friend? um where someone might go to learn about these methods <laughs> yeah i mean there, there are so many places online now and webinars i i do have courses i have a drive him wild with pleasure course but far more importantly i have a drive her wild with pleasure course and it's just a number of different like touch techniques that people can try and it's not Absolutely. It's not that, you know, these are magic techniques that are going to rock everyone's world. I think if they really just help people to think outside the box. And so those are on my website at happiercouples.com. Uh, and I also, I mean, if you really want to take the time and you really want to shift your sexual connection, whether you're having intercourse or sex or anything at all, I do have, I have a mindful sex course on that same site that takes you through different uh, audio guides for breath, for visualization, for non-sexual touch, which we usually refer to as sensate focus, and really helps people to slow down with no pressure to have sex. In fact, you know, if you did the course over the, you know, over the course of 10 weeks, you don't get to sex till close to the very end. And of course, you don't have to have it. And I, I want to, you know, make sure that I'm acknowledging people who want to have sex every day. There are many people who, despite having pain, 
want to figure out a way to have sex, right? Want to figure out ways to have orgasms. Those also can be pain alleviating, right? They have a lovely palliative effect on the body. So uh, yeah, you can definitely learn, learn, start learning there. And, and even if you, you know, I can, I can send you some people who are teaching a ton of webinars online. You might want to explore a BDSM, which oftentimes isn't sex in the sense of how most people think about sex, but can be highly erotic and play, um, you know, the emotional elements of arousal. So there are so many different places to start. Awesome. Okay, well, we're going to definitely include the links to your site. And um, yeah, I, we'd love to share some of those other resources as well. Um, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. That was very thank helpful. I, I definitely learned something. I hope my husband's not upstairs listening um, and <laughs> getting all excited about this course that we're about to take. But um, I think a lot of women will find this information helpful, but also a relief. You know, it, it is nice to know that we can genuinely take a few things off our plate right now. Yeah, absolutely. People have to do what works for them now and always. This is just a really good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like your ideas about just the little moments, finding those 60 seconds. I think we can all try and do that and it might make a big difference in our relationships. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jess.